Welcome to another episode of Skip Intellicast, a podcast about strategy, intelligence, and leadership. I'm Cam Mackey. Organizations are investing enormous sums on technology and skills to get value from big data. While many are seeing value, big data alone won't help strategy development. Like anything, we have to be careful to separate the hype from the reality. In today's episode, we talk with Mark Chussell about big data versus big games, a different way to look at competitive strategy. Mark is a pioneer in business wargaming and an expert in competitive strategy, strategic thinking, and strategy simulation. His essays on competitive strategy have appeared in Harvard Business Review, Skips, CI Magazine, and Entrepreneur.com. Mark is the founder of Advanced Competitive Strategies and an adjunct instructor at University of Portland's Pamplin School of Business. Mark, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Cam. It's a pleasure and, and privilege to be here. Well, I'd like to jump into some of the work that you've done around simulations. So you've done billions of them. You know, you've written a lot of articles for Harvard Business Review based on simulations. So how has your research affected your thinking about competitive strategy? <laughs> one, one of my favorite things about simulation is this, that um, when I, a particular simulation that, that I wrote called the Top Pricer Tournament, uh, when I, I, I put my own strategies into that tournament and I thought, hey, I'm going to do really well here. I mean, after all, I wrote this thing, but I didn't do all that well. And I was really startled by that. And I thought, well, what's going on? I'm supposed to be the master. And yet I didn't do all that well. And it turned out that what happened was I was not thinking well about strategy, even though I had been in strategy for decades at, at the time. So what, was ha- what happened to me was that it startled me and it made me think differently about competitive strategy. So the things, we, we talk about machine learning, but my simulations are an example of machine teaching. So I, yeah, and it, it was just so cool because when, when you learn something new like that, you have new opportunities for what you can do. So yeah, maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about you know some of the simulations you do because you mentioned you know the top pricer tournament. Maybe uh, for our listeners who are aren't familiar familiar with that work, maybe talk a little bit more. Give a couple examples if you don't mind. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, the top pricer tournament is something I've been using in my my research for uh, for about fifteen years now. It is a simple pricing strategy um, tournament where. People, so far over 2,000 people have entered this tournament. And, and you, you can too, listeners. Um, just get in touch with me. It's, it's free, it's confidential, and it's, I think it's really cool. But the, what it does is it says that there's a, a market with, um, with three competitors, and you have to come up with a pricing strategy. And it gives you some menus for, for doing that. And then it, the, the tournament runs all possible combinations of your strategies and all the other entrance strategies to see how well your strategy performs against other real life people. And that is something which gets into the action reaction of competitive strategy. 
So that is a, a kind of technology that I've, I've used in, in my research. I've been expanding that to use it for real business problems, not just the, the simple pricing problem. And that is being really powerful stuff. Uh, it's based on an earlier simulation. It combines the tournament approach with something I'd written a, a while before called value war, which is uh, we talk about price wars, but we're, we, what we really have is value wars where you've got price and perceived quality that, that customers care about. And I'll go one click farther than that and say that there's nothing quite like writing a model, um, putting it down on paper um, to help people figure out how things work. So say somebody says, uh, well, we need to be more like Apple. Okay, great. So we want to be more like Apple. Uh, what exactly does it mean to be more like Apple? Does it mean to that we should relocate to Cupertino? Should we uh, rename our company after some kind of fruit? Um, should we get a CEO who wears uh, black turtlenecks and blue jeans? Should we build insanely great products, even though they're in the house paint industry, or even though we are in the house paint industry? Uh -huh. um, you know, how will customers perceive our product improvements? Uh, are they, will our competitors be able to match us? How fast are they going to be able to do that? Will they leapfrog us? Will we get into a price war? Will our move make them desperate? In a sense, we... In a sense, we don't want intelligence about competitors. We want intelligence about competing. Yeah, yeah, and and that I mean, and that's a big nuance. And 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 as you know, a lot of your research and, and writings have shown. We can put some links into the show notes for folks. You know, competitive systems are incredibly dynamic. You know, they're not static. It's not uh, you know using the Apple example. You know, Apple against Microsoft or Apple against Google. Um, and have there been any surprises in your work with with top pricer or the other simulations? Uh, you know, you mentioned that you know you didn't win, but uh, any other you know surprise aha insights out of those types of simulations that, that you, you could share? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as I mentioned, over two thousand people have entered strategies into this this tournament, um, and what has surprised me, what I was afraid of when I first started to write this thing was that it was going to be just too obvious and that the decisions that people would make would all really cluster together and it would be sort of boring because everybody would pick really good strategies. That's not what happened at all. What happened is that people came up with wildly different strategies for precisely the same strategy problem. And th that tells us a couple of things. First of all, it says even simple problems like that pricing tournament, uh, the, the pricing decisions you had to make there, um, lead people to choose wildly different strategies. And so what that tells me is we don't know um, what's going to work. We think we do, and we may be really confident about it and very bold about it, but we just don't know. Second, because the performance of the, of the tournament strategies is so different from strategy to strategy, we can't tell the difference between a good strategy and a bad strategy. Um, all these smart people are doing their best to make good decisions, and yet 
we can't tell. <laughs> what that tells us, well, what it means is that we have strategy stories, not strategy analyses. I know that those are fighting words for some people, and I don't mean to start fights. I don't mean to denigrate anybody. I mean, hey, I went through this too when my own strategies didn't perform all that well. Um, but what we need is a lot fewer stories and a lot fewer debates and a lot more humility and a lot more rigor. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I want to pick up on that because it's, it's, you know, you're talking about two things which, you know, folks might think are conflicting. There's the, you know, bringing discipline and rigor to, to strategy to, you know, to bring, you know, take out some of the, the subjectivity, but you're also, you know, recognizing that, you know, we're people and, and, you know, things like humility need to play a role. So, so let me ask the point in question, Mark, you know, who's better at strategy, machines, computers, or, or humans? <laughs> well, you're, you're asking a human. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> my answer is a computer. Uh, oh, no, okay. Think, all right. That's provocative. You got to give me more than that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm <laughs> just kidding, but, but not a whole lot. So uh, I've been in competitive strategy for 45 years, and I focused on computer simulation of strategy for 30 of those years. Humans tend to think that strategy is straightforward because we rely on stories, and stories are natural for us. They're simple. We, we're accustomed to stories. When we debate strategies, we debate stories. However, strategy is complex. There's Oh, there's just so many moving parts, and we control only only a few of those moving parts. Uh, how many possibilities are there? Well, I I worked with one company where in fifteen this is no exaggeration in fifteen minutes we developed um, just short of four million possible scenarios. Uh, <laughs> no joke about that. <laughs> In that uh, pricing strategy tournament that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. with the 2,000-plus people who have entered, that's now uh, the number of uh, possible scenarios there, or futures, rather. I like, like to call them futures rather than scenarios. Um, the number of possible futures there is in the billions. And if the tournament, which is a simple thing relative to what we deal with in real life, if we were to simulate all of the possible combinations, it becomes in the, I think it's in the, uh, certainly in the trillions and maybe in the quadrillions. I mean, the number of possibilities is just enormous. So who's best at strategy? My answer for that is cyborgs. It's the combination of humans and, and computers. We're not enemies, we're partners. Um, humans have creativity, humans make mental connections, humans have mental flashes, um, humans define how strategy works in their industry. But humans are not even remotely close to being able to do the arithmetic in our heads. We need computers. Computers, meanwhile, they, they, they just sit there without a human to tell them what to calculate. They just say, well, you know, nice day, um, but, you know, what am I supposed to do today? Uh, the, <laughs> the, the calculations that computers do, uh, well, with those billions of simulations, my laptop simulates a couple hundred thousand simulations per second. 
Um, and uh, you're right, it's not an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and it's just the, the computer's ability to do the arithmetic just simply dwarfs um, humans' ability to do it. Uh, we just are not wired for that. So all those numbers uh, from uh, that we get from simulations give us a better idea that we ever had before about what strategies are likely to work, which strategies are likely to be risky, and and which strategies are likely to uh, to put us in a better position for the future. Yeah. We just have to learn to approach our work not as storytellers and not as copycats, but rather as gamers and scientists. And it can be done. And, and I like that because that really has has huge implications, Mark, on, on the development of strategy and all the discussions around it, the development, the refinement, the execution. Um, you, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, don't just outsource it to, to the algorithm, right? Um, which, you know, man, we could probably have a whole podcast episode about that, but oh, it's yeah. to, <laughs> you know, do your best to develop a strategy process that harnesses the strengths of the humans, um, as well as strengths of uh, computers. Now, I will say when you mentioned Cyborg, I unfortunately think of uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> perhaps, you know, if you could maybe suggest a better mental model, I'd appreciate it for a cyborg. Uh, well, I, I'm open to that. I've been thinking about it for a while. I, I think Cyborg is, is sort of cool, but yeah, hey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if anybody has a has a, a better term for it, I'm I'm open. Okay. Well, how about uh, for for Star uh, Star Trek geeks out there, Mister Data might be a good one. Um, <laughs> he might be a good one. Anyway, we we digress. So I will I will you know thank you for not having used the uh, the phrase big data yet. So I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, break the seal and, and, and use it. So, um, you know, ob obviously, you know, big data is, is like any, any, you know, transformational trend. There's a lot of hype, but there's also, uh, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty huge amount of, of value from it. Um, and it's, it's tough for organizations to figure out what's the hype and the marketing fluff versus you know, where there actually is value to the organization. So, you know, you, you see it better than I do. Lots of companies are investing in big data in, in all parts of their business. Um, and, you know, I, and from what we see at Skip, more so in, in strategy and commercial functions. Um, you know, can you maybe be a little bit of the spoiler here? What are some of the downsides of big data, especially you know, thinking about the impact on competitive strategy? Interesting question. Um, big data has has a, a lot it offers us quite a lot that, that we can learn because by definition big data has uh, there's a lot of information in it there's nothing wrong with big data as far as it goes but it doesn't go far enough at least not in competitive strategy um, for three reasons one is it leaves out important stuff um, I don't know if I've ever seen a company that is keeping what I would call data on, um, on customer loyalty uh, or on uh, perceived quality, things like that, which are, they're, they're measurable, but it's, it's not like something that you can get from, 
from looking at financials, um, which are coming in all the time, you know, how many people bought today, what price did they pay, and so on. So it leaves out some really important stuff. A more serious reason is that all data are from the past. Uh, There's no such thing as data from the future. We can't measure the future. We can only measure the past. So when we're looking at big data, uh, we can certainly get ideas from that. We can get clues from that. But it's narrow, and that's why not for any, not because we're doing something wrong, but just because we only can measure those things that have happened we cannot measure those things that have not happened. And therefore, if we want to be looking more broadly at possibilities, at futures, and at opportunities for us, we need to go beyond the data that, that we've got so far. Mm-hmm. And the third thing uh, is that data are not decisions. Uh, making decisions is something different because we, we may find out something in our big data that tells us uh, this is a terrific move to take. And our competitors may be doing something that uh, they may have similar big data and they will discover that the, the same move would be terrific, terrific for them to take. And now we've got two businesses that are going in the same direction. And that can become sort of like playing chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, let me let me ask because you, you, I mean you're right that we can't measure measure the future. Is, is there a nuance here with predictive analytics, um, which you know there, there's the the strategy angle on predictive analytics, but you know my background marks in manufacturing, and there are some pretty cool things going on with predictive analytics on plant floors where you can, based on you know, historical data. You can start to predict when when a part might fail. Is that what are your thoughts on on the use of those types of uh, tools? I, I think that's a perfect use uh, for big data, um, but the that could be tremendously helpful. But it's it's different from competitive strategy, which is highly dynamic. Um, and so the the answer isn't just get a more powerful computer. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> If only it were, right? Then we could have, you know, this episode sponsored by Dell or Hewlett Packard Enterprise and <laughs> mm-hmm. if only. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that you've talked about, uh, you know, relative to big data, but, you know, more tying it back to competitive strategy is this concept of, of big games. Now, I'm when, when I hear the word big game, I'm thinking of a rhinoceros, but I, I suspect <laughs> that's not what you mean. So, you know, in the context of competitive strategy, what is a big game? Oh, uh, that's that, that was that was pretty funny. Um, so st- the thing is, strategy isn't a spreadsheet. It's not a bunch of bullet points or a trend line forecast or watching what competitors are up to. I like the big games idea because competitive strategy is it's a game. Um, the game isn't something like follow the leader or um, you know, something simple like that. It, it's a game in the John von Neumann sense, in the game theory <laughs> sense. Um, and here, here's what I mean by that. Um, what von Neumann said was uh, chess, for example. All, all strategists like to compare themselves to chess grandmasters. Yeah. So um, the, no, I have never heard a strategist 
talk about what they do as checkers. They only compare it to chess. Yep. Um, yep. But what von Neumann said is that chess is actually not a game. And the reason is that chess is finite. It can be solved, um, at, at least in theory. Now, it has not been practically solved yet in the sense of there is that, that we know the game that will win um, uh, because chess is still quite enormous. Um, but in theory, it is finite. There's only so many possible games. Right. On the other hand, in game theory, things like the prisoner's dilemma, yep. which is the, the classic example of, of game theory, um, that is not finite, even though it is an incredibly simple game. Um, uh, we, we won't get into the, the whole thing of what is in the prisoner's dilemma. It's uh, just it's it's easy to look up on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah like definitely. Yeah, 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 for sure. But just, just Google is, it, and if you Google strategy under Google Image, you will see lots of chessboards. So yeah. <laughs> you are absolutely right. It's a fun exercise. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is. With uh, the prisoner's dilemma, it is the, the kind of thing where uh, it gets into that infinite regress of I know that you know that I know that you know that I know that you know. And that's what makes it, even though it is structurally incredibly simple, it makes it incredibly uh, difficult to solve. And that's the kind of game that businesses are involved in. We are involved in things that are sort of like uh, the prisoner's dilemma on super deluxe extra special steroids. It it Uh is just a gigantic version of Prisoner's Dilemma style um, games. And that is incredibly difficult for us to do in our heads. It it is. And and I like your kind of debunking of the, of the chess analogy for, for strategy. I think that's, that that's a nuance I haven't thought about before. Um, Maybe maybe talk a little bit about the big game concept, Mark, and and you know how companies actually you know do it. You know, so in in the not in the context of you know von Neumann, but in of an actual you know corporation, we're thinking through how can we, you know, take Mark's advice of of you know the cyborg approach. You know, how can a big game help a company with that? Well, that's uh, that's a that's a great question. I appreciate that. Um, what happens a lot is that in in business war games, uh, we start to get a taste for what that can be. Um, most business war games that that companies run are what I call qualitative games, uh, because there's no computer model involved. There's there's people who are talking and debating, and they're and they they can be incredibly insightful because I, I've seen company after company have this. Uh, uh, flash of insight that says, oh, my God, I didn't know our competitors could do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of a, a first step to being able to see um, what are the, the, the possibilities that are out there? What futures might we face? Mm-hmm. Uh, the next click is a quantitative business war game. And in those, um, we, we do use uh, simulation models so that people are debating and they're making decisions, but then we feed the decisions into, into computer simulation, and the simulation does the arithmetic for us. And I've seen that be 
very startling to companies. There's one, one company, I'm obviously not going to mention any names, sure, course, um, yeah. but there's uh, one company that I worked with was trying to make a very difficult decision because a new competitor was coming into their market and they, they didn't know how they ought to respond to this competitor coming in. And they were divided in their management team about whether they, about which direction they should go. The two Opportun- the, the, the two possibilities that, that they were debating were very different from each other. Uh, they were just wildly different, and yet they could not decide between those. So we simulated that in a business war game uh, using the quantitative approach, and it turned out that one of the strategies was far superior to the other. Now, that isn't necessarily surprising from an analytics standpoint, but what is surprising is that their, their people were all really, really smart. They all had experience in their business. They all knew what they were doing. They were in the room because these were their top people. And yet the simulation showed these two strategies are not even close in what is likely to happen. So that that is the second click. The third click, and this is the one that's just starting, is to be able to use people to come up with, here are the kinds of strategy algorithms, if you will, um, that, that we could use in our business. And we can calibrate a computer so that it will know what are the uh, what are the cost structures in our industry how many competitors do we have um yada 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 all 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 the stuff and then let the computer run um thousands or millions or billions or trillions of of scenarios of futures and see which strategies uh, are likely to give us the, the the best results which are likely to give us the worst results so that is that's happening now um, it's new and it's unfamiliar, but it's really cool. It 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 does, and and I I love you know what you mentioned earlier in our conversation, Mark, about you know strategy often being just based around stories, and and you know I I would add to that you know conventional wisdom and assumptions um, as well, and so I, I like how what you're talking about is really you know leveraging an algorithm. Um, to help, to help frame the conversation. And, and, you know, there's that phrase I, I always love, um, you know, trusting God, all others bring data. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, without asking for names, I would love, you know, your, your perspective on, you know, after that organization, you, you know, took these two, you know, radically different strategies. And then uh, one was found clearly superior. How did that change the conversation amongst the team after that? Did everyone say, oh, okay, great. Now I see the error of our strategy. Let's get around the winning one. Or, or you know, how did that unfold in the room? I, I have seen that. That's also, you ask great questions. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank uh, you. I, I have seen that happen a, a few times um, in companies, uh, in, including some really, really big companies making highly consequential decisions. And, the the fascinating thing is that almost always when people see the results they accept them 
because they they have been part of generating that. Uh, they they recognize we've had a fair debate about this. We've taken into account the right things, and well, that's that's what it looks like. Um, every now and then, there is somebody who has their pet strategy uh, for for various reasons, sure. and uh, they they may have committed a whole lot of uh, of political capital to a particular strategy and. I've seen that not work out so well when they have resisted um, what they've seen in, in, a, in a war game or a simulation. Yeah. And I, and I wonder too, you know, there's, there's always this, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, aphorism is the right word, but in, in business, you know, if, um, if you need to deliver tough news or have a change of perspective, you know, you can have an internal colleague do it and no one, no one pays attention. But all of a sudden, if you bring in a third party, to share the same news or make the same recommendation, you know, your folks listen. And, and so I, you know, I, I wonder if given the situation you just described, Mark, if that's, you know, you have a third party, you know, intermediary, kind of a neutral uh, facilitator plus a really, really great algorithm. And so it's, it's, you know, between, between you and the, you know, the algorithm, there's a fair amount of objectivity. Um, and so I wonder if that makes it a little bit easier for those to swallow with the exception of, uh, you know, the diehard, uh, I'm not going to give up my idea no matter what. So I wonder if that just brings in an extra layer of perspective and objectivity to a, to a tough discussion. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Because then when you have that, that kind of objectivity, um, it's, and when the, the numbers are just out there and we can go through them and say, why did the computer say this? Um, mm-hmm. Then it's, it, it's no longer a black box. We, we can yeah. understand how things are working. And hey, for that matter, when, when I'm working with a company and using simulation, uh, I'm happy to explain here's exactly how it's working. And if somebody in, in the room says, well, I think that this input number was wrong, uh, that's fine. I'm happy to put in another number um, as part of the input, part of the calibration, and let's rerun the simulation. Uh, one of the, the cool things about it is that uh, we can do that. We, it, it just takes a couple of seconds to, to do it. Yep. And when that happens, uh, then we find out something useful either way, because if it makes no real difference in the, in the decision, then great, we can feel comfortable about it. And if it does make a difference in the decision, great, we've learned something important. We'd better find out which of these two numbers is the right one. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I mean, that really resonates in, you know, in my you know, prior life, you know, prior to joining Skip, you know, we worked with some organizations around economic modeling and the more transparent you made the model, you know, and the assumptions going into it, you know, you know, for that model, it was, you know, where's, where's oil prices, where oil prices going to be, you know, what, what are estimations about, you know, currency, inflation, you know, macro, macro things for the most part. But the more that you gave the members in that case, visibility into how the model was configured and and they could, as you say, they could, you know, say, great, if you guys think that, you know, crude's going to be 50% higher, let's try it that way. It, it increases the buy-in, right? Because it's, it's the, the algorithm is no longer a black box. It's a, it's something that, you know, they helped uh, create and had input on. Yeah, exactly. 
And oh, and by the way, we've used the word algorithm a number of times here. Yeah. And something else I want to point out about that word is that algorithms are not limited to computers. We use we have algorithms in our heads. Mm. Um, whenever we make a decision, whenever we say this is better than that, that is the result of an algorithm that we're using in our heads. Uh, because we're using something that says this is better than that. That's an algorithm. So it's never yeah. a question of should we use algorithms? The question is is rather which algorithm should we use? Yeah. Well, so the the where I want to ask the last question here, Mark, is kind of, you know, a little bit coming come full circle to, you know, at the beginning you talked about about you know strategies and, and the and the error of relying purely on the story driven approach um, and we talked about big data and you know one of the limitations of, of big data being that you know we can't measure the future because it hasn't happened yet and also about about the complexity of strategic options right and so you know if then and and then you know my goodness for these algorithms this huge level of complexity um, so it's not just a finite game so. There are two words that kind of capture the spirit of all those. One is yesterday, and the other word is otherwise. Why should we care about those those two words in the context of competitive strategy? Well, we're, those are important words that, that reveal a lot about how we think. Here's the way that, that we usually think about um, what did we make a good decision or how's our, how are things going for us? When we say performance went down, um, it seems really simple. It, we take that to mean that, that we failed or our strategy failed, or we can blame the people who are implementing our strategy. That's always a popular one. Yep, yep. Um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> or the price was too high. Sales says the price was too high and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we're doing there is we're comparing today to yesterday. We said that performance went down, therefore we have we've got some kind of a problem. What I suggest that is that we need to go deeper um, because it's it's not enough. Yeah, we, we want to measure, of course we want to measure that our what's happening to our performance because that's what we put into the bank. Um, but it's not a good way to to gauge the the quality of the decisions that that we make. Um, think about what we really want to do is to say what would have happened otherwise. Yeah, maybe our performance went down, but what would have happened if we had done if we had done something else? Uh, it might have been that things would have gotten even worse. So going through the pandemic, for example, um, a lot of companies suffered, um, and a lot of people, of course, but now that, that, that's a different subject and a horrible thing, but all that. Um, but a lot of companies suffered um, declines in, in their performance. The question is not, did they fail in some sense? The, the question is, could we have done something better Whenever we, we say, whenever we're disappointed in our performance, could we have done something better? That's the otherwise discussion. Okay. And it turns out, um, I, I did some 
one one of my Harvard Business Review articles was about looking at the at the at pandemic effects on yeah. uh, on the the results of some pricing simulations, and of course, when we change the when we change the environment, our results are going to change. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just going to happen. <laughs> However, does that mean that we ought to change our strategy? Because it may be that even though our performance has gotten worse, we should stick with the same strategy because it's still the best that we can do. There is no better otherwise. Uh, on the other hand, it may be that in some cases we could do better. And in those cases, we ought to switch to the otherwise. But the point is that it's not that just because things change in our environment does not necessarily mean that we should or should not um, make a change in our strategy. And that's good because sometimes the, the knee-jerk reaction is, we'll just do something. You know, yeah. That, well, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I like your point because, well, maybe in fact that's right. You might want to adjust the strategy, but it's equally possible that you might not want to. Yeah. And th- the flip side of that is that we, we should always be looking at, do we have a better strategy available to us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so in, in wrapping up here, so if, if I'm putting on my, my hat as a, as a CI or competitive strategy person, so, you know, you've shared with us, Mark, the, you know, the great power of simulations, um, some of the limitations of doing, of creating and refining strategy, uh, purely based on kind of gut instinct, intuition, and stories. And you also may be a little bit nervous at the same time of piquing my curiosity talking about um, qualitative, or excuse me, quantitative wargaming. And so for listeners who are interested and say, you know what, I think, I think there's something here I would like to explore bringing some of these computer algorithms to our, you know, human uh, mental algorithms, what are some steps that folks should take? Well, there's, I think there, there's a couple of questions in there. One is, how do we get more rigorous in the way that we think? How, how can we express ourselves, express our, the algorithms that we use in our heads? to come up with strategies and what specifically can we do to have quantitative simulation or quantitative um, uh, games that will will work for us. Uh, the former, uh, just becoming aware, uh, just when, when you make a decision or when you are advocating a particular approach, think about it for a minute and think about it a little bit differently for a minute and say, what is the process? What is the algorithm? What, what is the, um, why would it, what makes it work? This thing that I'm about to suggest. So if I think that we ought to raise our price or cut our price or improve our quality or, or save some money on what, what we're producing, expand our product line, narrow our product line, all those kinds of things. There is a model in your head. There is an algorithm in your head. And think about why would this work? And stay away from the, well, Apple did this or Google did this or whoever, and it worked for them, therefore it's going to work for us. 
Uh, No, not not true. And the second part about getting quantitative in the uh, approaches that that we use is we have to say that the the financial spreadsheet, the P&L statement that everybody uses, you've seen thousands of spreadsheets in your life, you're going to see thousands more. Um, Sorry about that. Um, But we have to realize that the financials are an outcome as much as they are an input, you know, where we're deciding how much we ought to be spending on something. We need to have models and we we have them in our heads, but we need also to be making them more quantitative in our, in our computers for the things that, that we, the levers that we manipulate in our strategies and the expectations we have of our competitors, you know, what are they going to be doing and how is that going to affect us? We don't see that in the financials, but when we want to get quantitative, start to start to draw a, a sort of a flow chart of this connects to that. Um, and that will help you to see the, the connections in competitive strategy in a more rigorous way. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's great. I, and I, uh, someone much smarter than me once said that, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the balance sheet and, you know, the PL statement, those are essentially the rear view mirror in a car. And if yeah. you want to look through the windshield and see what's up ahead, as you say, it's customer experience. It's, you know, it, it could be, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, cross-sell ratios. It could be, you know, satisfaction with a new product line. You know, any number of things. It's going to be different by business. But make sure that as you as you go through the process, you're talking about you're not only using those rear view uh, metrics. You're also looking at some of the uh, ones that look into the future. That you know, where they might not be seen on the balance sheet or the P and L for a, for a year or even longer. Yeah. yeah the thing is that uh, accounting that the Double entry bookkeeping has been around for it's it's got a lead on us of about five centuries. Um, <laughs> it's that darn abacus, right? Yeah, it's it's that's they they did get that right, didn't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, Luca Pacioli, or I'm not I'm sure I'm butchering his name. Sorry about that. He was a, okay. a, a buddy of Leonardo da Vinci, and okay. he was the inventor of double entry bookkeeping. A bit of useless trivia for today. Well, and I, if strategy were simple as a chessboard, I would uh, wish I knew exactly <laughs> when chess was invented. I apologize, I don't. But, uh, but no, Mark, it has been a ton of fun to talk to you. Um, we'll share on the show notes page some links to the great uh, articles you've done for HBR. Uh, would you be okay if we can also uh, give a little information on that top pricer tournament so folks can see it in action? Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you sharing your awesome experience and perspective with the Skip audience. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me here, Ken. Interested in continuing the conversation? Skip and Telecon is where leaders come together to learn CI best practices and connect with a trusted community of peers. Hear from great organizations like HubSpot, Prudential, Hershey's, and Abbott Labs and get Skip certified at one of our highly rated workshops. Visit skip.org to learn more and reserve your seat for Intellicon today.